Hello, hello, hello. Love Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Good Life Podcast with Mike Safosnik. We're going to be talking some NBA basketball today with an old friend. But before I get to today's guest, I just want to promote who I'll be having on within the next two weeks. Victor Williams, also known as Deacon from the King of Queens, will be coming in studio. Michael K. Williams, also known as Omar from The Wire. And Chalky White from Boardwalk Empire is coming on. Former Cincinnati Red and Mets Gold Glove winning second baseman Doug Flynn. Professional bodybuilder Jeff Beckman will all be on the show, so subscribe to my show on iTunes by searching Mike Sappho. Let's get right to today's guest. 15-year NBA veteran. Eighth pick overall in the 1987 NBA draft from UVA. I spent many a nights down at the University of Virginia. He played for the Supersonics, Clippers, Pistons, Kings, and Jazz. Friend of the show, NBA veteran, the great Olden Polonese. OP, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing, Mike? How's everything? Always good, man. Really appreciate you calling in, man. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So we haven't talked in around a year and a half. What is Olden Polonese up to these days? Well, I've just been coaching basketball, uh, coaching AAU, doing personal training through my company, Next Star Basketball, trying to get these young guys to learn the final points of, of basketball, you know, as far as fundamentals. Now, is it frustrating trying to teach these young kids? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very frustrating because everybody thinks they know everything. And, you know, I did – I played the game for, you know, 15-plus years professionally, and I don't know everything. But all these kids who have never done it, they know everything. Let me ask you, let's get right to the coaching. Because I remember when we talked last time, you talked about how you wanted to start coaching. You're a big man, obviously, 6'11". Do you see, why is there a deterioration of the big man in the NBA? It doesn't seem to be such a prime point anymore from the days of you, Shaq, Olajuwon, Matumbo. Why is that? Is it coaching or is there more to it? It's coaching. That's the, that's the bottom line. Because no one's out there coaching. If you look around the, the league, there's – uh, every staff, I think the tallest coach is around maybe six four, six five, and then you have these guys trying to teach somebody how to how to post up and how to play the game. But I think it starts even earlier than that because these young guys, you know, they 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 start out, you know, doing everything other than post up moves, and no one's out there teaching them. I learned under the great Pete Newell. And Pete Newell knew everything about basketball. So I used to go to Pete Newell Big Man's camp. And so I learned from a lot of these great players. And then you just work on your craft. There's no such thing anymore. Everybody's everybody's jump shooters now. And it's funny. I do this thing all the time with kids. I walk into a gym, right, for training and everything. I give a kid a ball. First thing I say is uh, make a shot. The first thing they do is run out to the three-point line and shoot. <laughs> and then I'll, and I'll take the same basketball and I'll go stand right under the basket and shoot a nice little one-handed hook or a layup. And the point of that is, you know, seeing where their mind is, and everybody is always at the three-point line. Now, let me ask you this, and this is, might be – I don't know if it's come up weird, but I have a few friends that are big dudes, played sports – and they always say that the big man kind of gets a bad rap, like, oh, you're just playing basketball because you're tall. There's no love of the game. There's no 
work ethic. Do you think maybe that has something to do with the coaching? They want the little guy who's scrappy because it looks like maybe they try harder. Do you feel any of that trying to get in the coaching game? No. Uh, no, that's that's a myth. And it's also like, you know, big man can't coach, all that stuff. It, it's, a, it's a big mythology because, you know, Phil Jackson was technically a big man, and he's one of the greatest coaches we've ever had. Um, I know a lot about basketball. I'm a good coach. You know, I think the bottom line is it's sometimes the perception is wrong, but it's not even about that. It's just committing. You know, being a good player, whether it's a guard, big man, whatever you want to be, it's about commitment, you know, and your work ethic. You know, right now, it's like rebounding. Rebounding, people think there's a skill to rebounding. I mean, maybe 10%, but the other 90% is just effort. <laughs> you know, it's just going to get the ball. That's the bottom line. Yeah, it's wanting it. It's wanting it more. Rodman, Barkley, they wanted the ball more. They went harder for the ball. That's, That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's Rodman was barely six seven. He led the league in rebounding for so many years because he just outworked you. It wasn't more talent. I mean, we had people with more talent than Dennis Rodman, but I didn't know anybody that that could outwork him. And I. I I fancy myself a hard worker, and I was envious of how hard he worked. <laughs> now, OP, let me ask you this. You went to – you're a Bronx boy, went to All Hollows High School. With the passing of the legend, Pearl Washington, your name was actually in the post the other day, and that's what – I'm like, wow, I haven't hit him up. I never asked you this last time you were on. Did you ever spend a lot of time on the famed New York City playgrounds, whether it be Rucker Park, the cage at West – are you a playground guy or not really? Yeah, I, I grew up at Rucker Park. I lived in Building 1 in the Polo Grounds, which is just right across the street. And so that's how I learned how to play basketball, you know. And, again, that's another difference now than back then is the fact that these kids, I don't even believe these kids know what playground basketball is. Everybody's playing on the hardwood, you know. And so, like, all the AU kids – they don't know how to be rough and tough, and that's a problem. You know, I used to get elbowed, knocked to the <laughs> concrete or asphalt, whatever they call it, and it's like you you built the tolerance. You know, you build a high pain threshold. You know, no harm, no foul. No blood, no foul. Those are the rules <laughs> we used to play under. Now it's like, ow, oh, my fingernail broke. I can't play. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. See, I never knew you played a rocker. Now, who was your favorite street ball player playing back then? Oh, man, I had so many. Earl Manigold. But probably my favorite was Joe Hammond. And I was, I mean, Joe Hammond, if anybody ever knows basketball, may have been the greatest scorer, playground, NBA, whatever. He, he could put the ball through that hole. The Destroyer, right? Wasn't that his nickname? They all have great nicknames. Yes, exactly. Yogi Destroyer. The Destroyer. Yes. I watched <laughs> this man score 60 points and a half. And a half. And then just like walked out. Didn't even. It's like amazing the stuff he did. You know? It's like 60 points. And I, okay, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> you know, that's always the thing. They said he could have been one of the greats. But had no desire to be. It's, is that true? Like he was that good? He was that good. 
got drafted and everything. Just um, legend has it that he said, I could make more money on the streets than, uh, <laughs> you know, in yeah. reference to his um, NBA contract. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I love the uh, the urban legend. It was him and um, I think Pee Wee Kirkland. They always say that they said to the NBA, listen, I appreciate the offer, but I'm making more money hustling. So I'm going to I'm gonna stick with playing ball on the side and hustling as a full-time. Oh. It's it's amazing. Exactly. Pee Wee Kirkland, that was another one. I mean, these guys were legendary guys, you know. I mean, oh. <laughs> if only if, if they, oh I bet the game changes if these guys had played. Well, that's what they say. Even like Fly Williams, I love talking streetball right now. They're saying that if they had just some guidance, or if it was now with Twitter and college coaches coming in, like, hey, come out, you're gonna come here. They, it would have changed basketball. That's how good these guys were. Yes. Yep. That's now so let's, true. let's talk some NBA real quick. Um, See, this is me personally. I think the first round should be the best of five, add some excitement. What do you think, not just of the format, but the playoffs right now, the NBA? You intrigued by them? Oh, I mean, I, I look forward to the playoffs, but for for the most part, it's getting a little stale as far as the seven games. And mm-hmm. only because I did play under the five-game format. And it put a lot more pressure on both teams. It made it a lot more exciting. Uh, now they're stretching it out to seven games. I mean, some games go seven, which is fine, but it's it's only when there's teams that are evenly matched. Right now, I mean, we're seeing we saw Cleveland, you know, get through Charlotte. Um, so it's just uh, I don't know. It's not the same anymore, you know. I don't mind the seven games only because, like I said, I look forward to playoff basketball. But in, in, in a perfect world, I would rather the first round be five, get best out of five, and then we move on. It's just too much gap now. You tend to forget, okay, is there a game on tonight? You know, you start going through all of that. That's what, It's funny you said that. That's what I did a little while ago. I went to ESPN. I'm like, oh, who's playing tonight? It's not like, okay, this is much must watch, but – you know, to me, the East is boring. Uh, the, the, the Cavs, they have a cakewalk to the NBA Finals. You, no, no team's coming close to beating them in the East, right? Well, Miami has a shot, and mm-hmm. I, I do believe that. And I want to see that matchup only because I want to see how LeBron's brain works against his former team, that whole aspect. That's, that's going to be the underlying tale of that series, if they happen to get to them, because I definitely don't believe Toronto has a shot in all our doors <laughs> of beating Cleveland. So um, I do believe that a better matchup for the NBA is Cleveland-Miami. And you know what I've been saying? I've been saying for a few months now, this is the first time that I can remember that LeBron James, he's not in the spotlight 24-7. He's not every. I feel the Cavs might be rested. This might be the year that he, they sneak under the radar, get to the finals. And do you think, before we get to your prediction, do you think this is the year that LeBron can bring, and will he bring a title back to Cleveland? Uh, great question. I still don't believe they have enough to beat the Warriors or anybody else in the, in the West. I just don't believe it. But the bottom line is the, West, the NBA Finals is in the West, is in the Western Conference. You know, so the actual finals is an afterthought. <laughs> so whoever, all the fighting and everything is going to happen in the Western Conference. Because, I mean, those 
the Thunder can beat um, Cleveland. The uh, the San Antonio Spurs can beat Cleveland, and of course the Golden State Warriors, defending champions, definitely can beat Cleveland. And I just, you know, I like what you said earlier about him flying under the radar, which is kind of funny because it's true because I, of the Steph Curry phenomenon, and you know, he's. I think that's like taking a toll on him. He's enjoying himself, but I, I don't think he's really liking that, that somebody's going you know, to upstage him. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, he, he's kind of using it to to an advantage, but I don't think it's going to be an advantage against any of the Western Conference teams, though. I just don't believe it. Now, true or false, if the Warriors don't win the NBA title this year, this entire season for them is a failure. False. <laughs> 73 wins is 73 wins. <laughs> so, whether, whether you win the title or not, I mean, you know, they go, Steph was relatively healthy, and now all of a sudden he's had these two nagging injuries. But that's taken, you know, effect somewhat, but it's still winning. So, again, what astounds me is the fact that even though they're playing, you know, bum teams right now, but it's still a, a cool thing, you know, to say, hey, we won 73 wins, the most games in NBA history. And when he gets healthy, I mean, he just makes them 100 times better. But that's the beauty of Steph Curry. Yes, they can win without him, but they don't want to try and win without him. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> now, you know, people say that they want to hate on the Warriors. They're a hard team to hate. But people, you know, up here in New York, a lot of people will call the radio, oh, they're bad for basketball because they're run and gun. You're coaching now. Do you see this whole run and gun, Steph Curry shooting from the hash marks? Do you feel that it's a little bad for basketball or it's just they'll get it out of their system eventually? That's, you know, uh, those must be Knicks fans. Uh, yeah, no, we, you know, we're miserable. <laughs> those are Knicks fans and Brooklyn Nets fans, you know, Philadelphia fans. <laughs> Please stop. People need to stop. See, if you really watched the Warriors, actually understood what they're doing, you would appreciate the game even more. This is one of the best defensive teams in the league. They actually play defense. And as far as on offense, they have two of the greatest shooters that we've ever seen. All they're doing is taking advantage of that fact, that we have one on one side, one on the other side. Yes, Steph Curry, but he makes those shots. He's making a higher percentage than most NBA guys are shooting free throws. <laughs> and so it's, it looks like a wild shot to the untrained eye, but it's a shot. It's a great shot for him, and it's a makeable shot for him. And the thing that I love most about them is that they play team basketball. That's what we pay money for as fans. You should appreciate the fact that these guys play basketball the right way. They pass the ball to each other. They look for the open man. Yes, Steph Curry's open at half court. It's an open shot. I'm taking it. <laughs> you know, he's just not <laughs> jacking it up. He, he gets his assist. He gets his teammates involved, and he keeps moving without the ball. Those are things that we, we used to teach in basketball, and now all of a sudden it's a problem only because – you don't like the team? No, I don't buy that. <laughs> One more NBA question. Uh, a lot of people don't remember Kevin Durant was drafted by the Sonics. You played in Seattle. Two questions. One, does that city deserve a franchise? And where do you see Durant 
playing next year? Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Golden State. Where do you see KD playing, and does Seattle deserve a franchise? Oh, Seattle definitely deserves a franchise. You know, they have a championship in that city. It's a great city for basketball. And it's unfortunate. You know, they try to say that the city doesn't support the team. That's a big lie. Uh, Clay Bennett, when he bought the team, you know, it was under the the guys that he would keep the team there, which he went against his word. So it's a tough situation for the people of Seattle, and it's unfortunate, but I do believe they will get another franchise. I just don't know when it's going to be. I thought they had the Sacramento deal done, and then that got – and it's funny, you know, no one talks about that. When Bennett decided to move the team to Oklahoma City – they tried pretty much the same thing that Sacramento did, and it didn't work. But yet it worked for Sacramento and keeping the Kings in Sacramento. And so it just shows you how the NBA is and how it works sometimes. But as far as Kevin Durant goes, only reason I'm going to make this statement is because I know how loyal of a guy he, he is and claims to be because he definitely projects that. Mm-hmm. I believe he's going to stay in Oklahoma City only because of his loyalty. Now, if something changes within that loyal aspect, which I doubt, um, then I, I see him probably going to a team like, uh, I know the Warriors really have talked about it, which would be like, <laughs> which would blow my mind. <laughs> I could scary. see him playing for a team like that. One thing about him, I will say this. He's not going to go to, like, the Wizards only to be at home. He wants to win. So it's going to have to be a team that can win. I could see him in San Antonio, another small market. They they love the Wizards thing just to play with John Wall, but they need more pieces there. And you know what I love? Because you mentioned the sad Knicks fans. I'm one of them. you got to hear the sports talk. Durant's coming to New York. Why would he ever? We don't even have a coach. Why would he come here? It's not, it's not even a pipe dream at this point. You gotta have other players around. The guys are not leaving just to to go somewhere, and uh, it's unfortunate. Yes, we all have you know wishes come true, but you have to look at it from a realistic standpoint. And sometimes, you know, that's easier said than done. But it is what it is. This guy wants to win. You know, I could see him going to Houston before I see him going to New York. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this question. It's a little bit, I have to talk Kentucky basketball, of course. You're of Haitian descent. Not many NBA players are. Kentucky is the reason I'm single. They're the reason I wake up in the morning. Have you ever, have you worked with, spoken to, or watched a lot of your fellow Haitian scholar of this year from Kentucky, or not really? I watch them. I stay in contact with them. I offer my help to them, but these Mm -hmm. guys do not return the calls or want the help for some reason. Well, I know what the reason is, because everybody is locked into these handlers, you know, these Mm -hmm. people that are taking advantage of them and using them, and it's unfortunate, you know, Mm -hmm. because they get to them early, and that's another reason why I started coaching AAU basketball, so I at least can have some influence, you know, now, because they get into these kids in the seventh grade, you know, pretty soon they're going to be getting to them in the womb. When when 
Kentucky signed when he signed with Kentucky. You know, he came off, and I hate when everyone called him soft. This, it's how don't you call a fellow countryman who's a big man who was aggressive? I don't know how they wouldn't even reach out to you. Like, hey, come to a practice, bump with him a little bit. Like it, it's so frustrating. So you. What do you think of him in the it's draft? Very, it, Mike, yeah. it's very frustrating because, I, like I said, I reached out. I know his handler. I talked to him, and, you know, we do communicate at least. But it's always, a, uh, well, he's he's busy, he's this. I'm like, you're not that busy to help your game get better. You know, you shouldn't be, actually. You know, that's the bottom line. And that shows me a lot about a player. You know, when you're not willing to learn, whether it's me or somebody else, I believe it should be me because, like you said, we're both from Haiti, you know, and that aspect alone in trying to help should should be suffice. But even if it's not, I played this game. I played in the league for a long time, and I do coach. I'm off, I'm not even asking for payment. I'm offering it to you free of charge. And it and it still doesn't make a difference to these kids. And then he wonders why he's on the bench his whole yeah. pretty much the whole year. <laughs> you know, if you listen, you nailed it. It's not like you're looking. And you know what's funny? You you just said it perfect. It's not like oh, we both grew up in the Bronx. Now forget it. There's a million people. You come from Haiti. It's not a basketball. There's only a few of you guys who played basketball. You're another big man who coaches played in the league 15 years. You have the resume like, hey, call him up. For, you should. They should have reached out to you. And that's, that's what was frustrating the whole year watching this number one high school player, him and Ben Simmons, and then just sit the bench. Hey, why yeah. not reach out to someone who, who can get to him? Listen, you know what, maybe, listen, I love Coach Cal, but maybe he couldn't get to him, which is fine. Let's get someone who might get to him. It, it, that's frustrating. And the fact that you reached out, that sucks, man, doesn't it? It really does. You know, it's very frustrating. and But it shows you where we are right now as far as, like, basketball. Again, that's why there's no development of the big man or plays. You know, I specialize in big man, but I also train, you know, other positions. And it's just funny to me that these kids do not want to develop. Everybody wants all the riches, but no one wants to put the work in to get the riches. <laughs> now, <I'm> talking, <laughs> it's like hey i'm big give me the riches now i've been talking to you 25 minutes i'll keep you on a few more minutes you had a when you say 15 year career that's insane you had a long run you never played with kobe you played against him the legend just retired do you have one good kobe story or your overall thought of the black mamba oh my god i i mean first of all i'll give you my my overall thought of him okay. um one of the greatest players that I've ever seen play that I've ever played against, and it was an honor to play against him. His work ethic is unparalleled. And, you know, say what you want about him. You know, he shoots too much. He says, no, you have to respect the man for what he did. He gave you all that he had. And to me, at the end of the day, that I appreciate more than anything else anyone can do on the court is the fact that you gave me your all. You know, he left it all. That last game, you could tell. that was It was almost like he's going to die on that basketball court. <laughs> you know, it was that kind of thing. I'm going to die on this basketball court. I'm, I'm, you know, that's it. You know, or the Rocky movie. Remember uh, Rocky Balboa? It's like he got it all out. That's it. That's it. I'm done. Now I can walk away. And that's what Kobe did. 
you know. But probably the two stories in regards to Kobe Bean, um, one was um, his rookie, was it his rookie year or his second year? One of them. Right before, um, during All-Star Weekend. And we we go to the club, you know, I'm with my boys, and I see Kobe standing outside. They won't let him in the party. You know, probably one because he was underage, but, you know, also we and they kind of like let everything go. And they didn't know who he was, so it's like, I'm like, hey, come on, man, let's go. You with, you with me, you know? And so I walk him in the club, we hang out and all that good stuff. And it's like, fast forward 20 years later, it's like, dude, he owns the world. <laughs> it's like, I don't think he needs my help anymore in getting into a club. <laughs> You know, and probably the second one is when <laughs> I knew how tough this kid was when we were um, working out at um, UCLA, I think, or the – it might have been the Lakers practice facility, one of them, when he and Sha- Shaquille got into a fight over whose team it was. And here I am, you know, I'm trying to, like, you know, play peacemaker <laughs> I'm holding Shaquille. All of a sudden, he swings on Shaquille, and then Shaquille, I'm like, "Wait a minute, hey dude, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting hit, trying to hold Shaquille." And Kobe's like, not scared, but the whole time this is happening, I'm looking at his eyes. He is not afraid. He's standing there, like, even though I was holding him, but I couldn't hold Shaquille for long. It's almost like, you know, you swing again, he's gonna get free. And so, but just to see that the eyes, you know, like he really wanted to fight this guy. Most people, you know, you could tell, you know, there's a little fear. There was no fear in this kid's eyes. So legitimate punches being thrown, Kobe and Shaq, and Kobe didn't back down one bit to Shaquille O'Neal. No. Well, like I said, probably because I was holding Shaquille, but still the fact that he was willing to do that, said a lot about him. Now, one one other NBA thing, and I'm going to let you go after two little personal questions. You were you were you involved with the Kings in the past couple of years or no? Uh no. I heard <laughs> funny story. <laughs> um, George Carr, who I have so much respect for, asked me to come down to training camp. You know to, you know, just gave me an invitation. You know, okay. kind of like open the door for the possibilities. So I went to training camp, took notes, jotted stuff down, made some pointers to guys, you know, kind of like Willie Carly Stein. You know, I gave him some pointers on what to do and all that. And then he invited me to training camp, not training camp, to uh, to come out to Sacramento for, um, yeah, for training camp. I'm sorry. And, um, for the beginning of the season, I'm sorry, jeez. <laughs> so <laughs> I go to um, I go to Sacramento, move out there. But we talked about it. I was like, okay, you know, am I? What am I coming down here for? He said, you know, I would like for you to, you know, help with the big guys. And I was like, oh my god, I'm trying to get my opportunity. Well, I get to Sacramento, and then um, Vlade Divac come up to me, who's a friend of mine. I thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know how the rest of that story goes. Uh, he's like, well, George didn't have the right to do that. Wow. And so to me, it's funny because in the past when I've called 
throughout the NBA, you know, trying to get on a staff, they always tell me, well, it's the coach's, you know, job. You know, it's he, it's his, you know, it's his crew, it's his guys. Whoever he wants to bring on is fine by me. And that kind of thing, that's what I used to get. So when George, see, I thought the hardest part was going to be getting George to buy into me coming to training camp or coming to help out. Because I assume that Vlade, because of our friendship, you know, we go back all those years, we, we used to have the same agent, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, the old adage of the NBA or everywhere else, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Of I assumed I was good. You know, I just got to work on George. But George was the easiest. <laughs> George was like, sure, come on, I'll let, I'll let you get your feet wet. <laughs> Those wow. were his exact words to me. And it's kind of you know funny now that I see George Carl's quotes uh, a couple of days ago after getting fired is that, you know, he didn't feel like he had any support from management in anything, you know. And so now everything makes sense. See, that's crazy because I think they have such a block, and not just because they're Kentucky guys, but DeMarcus Cousins and Willie Cauley-Stein in the middle. That can be something special. And that's why I, I thought yeah. I saw somewhere on your Twitter or something you had the Kings. I'm like, wow, I wonder if you're working with those two. Yeah, I know. I was down there and everything, oh. and I was getting along with DeMarcus. You know? And that's – see, DeMarcus needs someone like myself, somebody that's not afraid of him, that's willing to tell him the truth, but also – willing to stand up to them, and willing to work with them. They don't have that. They have all these little midget guard, guard-sized yeah. coaches trying to, like, tell him, call this Williamson, you know, that's my boy, but he's not a big man. Nope. You know, there's nothing really he can tell DeMarcus, and he hasn't been where DeMarcus is. I know. See, I, I get to know these kids. You know, and these young players, you know, more from a mental standpoint and off the court as opposed to just, you know, the basketball aspect. You know, get to know, you know, what makes him tick. I can relate to DeMarcus Cousins a lot more than anybody else that was on that staff. And he, he can be a – he's the one mentor away from being that special dominant player because he'll drop 35 and 22. And the next day, not seem into it. That, that's unacceptable because he can yeah. dominate this league. You know that, okay? He can dominate. But this that's league. the problem at the league. That's truly the problem. There are no mentors now. Your veterans are twenty two, twenty three years old, and they're still young. I mean, my veteran was thirty eight, thirty nine when I came in the league. You know, with with wives and kids and mortgages. You know, and problems. <laughs> yeah, real problems. Real issues. You know, you know who's on I, my timeline? <laughs> you know, how many followers do I have? That, that's, that's their problem I, now. That's what they stress out about. And I, th- I think the Timberwolves finally did something when they brought Garnett in there to basically mentor Carl Anthony Towns. That is a step that we need. You need the veteran guy who's been in the league 15, 20 years who can show Carl Towns it, that, that, a mentor. Do you agree with that? Oh, definitely. I mean, look, look at Okafor in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Look at Russell in L.A. It's just amazing. I mean, yes, you know, he had Kobe there, but Kobe was still playing. So his mentality was, hey, I'm still trying to actually play, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's my thing. And it's just funny that, again, we don't have a lot of these guys, you know, I don't know if it's 
the financial thing. I believe that every there's 30 teams in the NBA. All 30 teams should have an ex-player. You know, as long as you know, you know, you do the interview process, and as long as you know how to coach and how to come across, they should have a job. It should be a spot, just a ready-made position, you know, for for at least one guy. You know, you have a big man and you have a guard. Everything should have that. Well, maybe two positions. And, and you know what's good about that? It's twofold. It, it helps the kid, the player, and it helps you guys get into the whole mentoring, coaching aspect. That's a twofold. That can help out everyone. That's a win-win situation. It's a win-win for everybody. It helps the league. You know, it minimizes a lot of issues that's going on. Your players are going to get better. They're going to have somebody that they can go to. None of these kids have that. And like I said, everybody's coming in with entourages already, you know, and the entourage only tell you what you want to hear. And so you're not getting the truth. And it's going to make for a better product. And like I said, it's a win-win all the way around. Okay, I'm going to finish up with two questions. I don't remember your answer last time. You and I are out. We're in New York City. You want to impress people. Who's the coolest person in your phone right now that if you throw them a text, they'll text you back? Um, Arsenio Hall. They'll text me back all the time. Um, Jamie Foxx, um, Kevin Hart. I mean, I get, a, I get at least a little response. You know, it depends <laughs> on what they're doing. But Arsenio probably... Like, he'll text me no matter what time and whatever. I train his son, actually, but he probably will text me any time I text him. The rest, it might be, you know, based on availability. <laughs> Ar- Arsenio Hall, dude, that's a great answer. And now, last question, talking about UVA, like I said last time, one of my best friends went there, played football. He was homesick for four years. So once a month for four years, I made that trek from New York City down to Charlottesville. When's the last time you've been there? And have you got a sandwich from Little John's? Because I was out the other night, and all I wanted was a bacon tuna melt from Little John's. I was, I was there for the Top 100 camp. The last time I was there, actually, Scal, you know, was at the Top 100. Uh-huh. So what was that, two years ago? Yeah, and I was at Little John's. <laughs> <laughs> got to go to the corner and get you a sandwich. <laughs> Alden Polonies, OP, dude, you're one of my favorite guests. And are you coming back to New York City anytime soon? Uh, I'll be there this summer. Dude, when you get to when you get here, hit me up. We'll do the show live. We'll hang out. All right. My man, thank you so much for coming on. I love talking basketball with you, man. Be good. Oh, uh, thanks, Mike. See you later, OP. All right, bye. Awesome interview. 15-year veteran, Alden Polonies. Loved having him on. He's a great guy, great storyteller. The first time I interviewed him was two years ago. We just kicked. He has great stories. And uh, he's a big guy from Haiti. Why isn't Scott calling him? I think I might have. Rumor has it. Or just search my Twitter, at Mike Sappho. I might have wrote to Scott a bunch of times this year, told him to reach out to OP. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, at Mike Sappho, M-I-K-E-S-A-F-O. Like I said, I'll have Omar from The Wire, Chalky White, Boardwalk Empire. He's going to be doing the show live. Victor Williams, a.k.a. Deacon from the King of Queens, will be coming on. Jeff Beckman. I think he's nationally ranked. Maybe like top five nationally bodybuilders. I think he wants to train me. I think he saw my arms and so they were too impressive. Um, Doug Flynn, Kentucky boy, Cincinnati Reds, Big Red Machine, and a Mets 
Gold Glove winning second baseman. He's coming on. And hopefully a few other guests will respond to me harassing them. Everyone, thank you for listening. Have a good day. Thanks again to Olden Polonese.